Welcome to Third Floor Views, a production of Chesapeake Family Life, where we talk about health, education, and living with kids. I'm your host, Janet Jefferson. Today, we're talking about eczema and allergies. Joining us is Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson, MD, Master's in Bioethics, Fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics, Mom and Pediatrician. She's also the Chief Medical Officer for Spoonful One. Dr. Swanson leads efforts to foster conversations with clinicians and parents around the importance of early, consistent inclusion of potential allergies in the diet. Thank you so much, Dr. Swanson, for being here today. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Let's jump right in. So first it is eczema awareness month. October is. So I'd love to start just a little bit talking about that and eczema, how common it is and some of the, some of the different forms it can take and maybe what some parents should be looking out for. Well, eczema, you know, lots of parents know about eczema because it is so common and it's especially common in early life. And first and foremost, we don't know exactly all the reasons why children develop eczema, but we know that there are some genetic components. So there's a gene, for example, called the fibrillogen gene that you can inherit a defect in that. And it makes your skin a little bit more likely to be eczematous in early life. And what that means is that skin is just a little dry in patchy mm. areas. It has a tendency specifically specifically in infancy to be patchy in specific patterns. So like in the folds of your arm and the folds behind a little baby's knees. Um, sometimes you'll see those. Sometimes you'll see it really on, under the chin, on the cheeks, and it can even cause a little lightning in the skin in those areas. So if it's a child who's heavily pigmented, you'll even see a little what we call hypopigmentation in that. Hmm. But the bottom line is it's really common. So somewhere between probably 15 and 20%, so almost one in five babies will have a little bit of eczema during infancy. Um, it can be extremely variable. So some babies have what's called mild eczema. You have a tiny little rough patch here, a little spot here. Mom and dad use a lot of what we call emollients or skin barrier creams. They reduce the amount of bathing. It totally goes away versus some babies within, you know, a few weeks, even, or a month or two of life, their skin can get covered in dry itchy patches. A lot of pediatricians like to call it the, you know, the, the rat, the itch that rashes, meaning that kids first will feel, or babies will first feel a sense of itchiness when they scratch it, it gets worse and it turns into a vicious cycle. And some babies you'll see, like they're lying in their cribs on their back and they'll rub their heads and they'll get like a hole. Like I, you know, in clinic, I'll see a whole line of hair loss right there. Cause they'll be scratching and rubbing it so much. So it's just a dryness of the skin. Now, some children will go on to have it throughout their lifetime. And of course, even adults will carry eczema throughout their lifetime, but not at that same rate. And when, you know, we're here to talk a little bit about early life and the importance of eczema in early life. And the thing that makes eczema risky in some ways for kids is not the rash itself or even the burden of itching. It's that it creates an opening in their skin barrier in early life so that instead of just having the skin be a perfect barrier around them, it's actually a broken barrier. And so particles, food particles, parasites, bacteria, fungus, everything can kind of get introduced to baby in a different way. Hmm, mm -hmm. So is this then something that parents should really be concerned about? You know, if they see something, even a mild case, like, Ooh, we have a little bit of a rash, you know, as you were saying in the elbows or back of the knees, um, is it something that you need to take action right away? Or is it yeah, like, I mean, you know what, I mean, it will go away. It's okay. Yeah, I don't want to sound scary because you know, like parenting is so scary. <laughs> like it just is like, I'm a mom of two and even now with my teenage boys, everything can seem overwhelming at times. So no, I don't want to be alarmist. 
Okay. And yet, I think we're starting to learn really in the last five to 10 years that being pretty judicious in caring for your kids' eczema likely improves their protection from environmental risk factors that could contribute to things like food allergies. So mm -hmm. if you see dry patches in your baby's skin without question, bring it up with your pediatrician when you're with them in the very near term, seek some opportunities to really make sure you improve your baby's skin. And you can, I mean, little rough patches are easy to get rid of. We don't mm -hmm. typically like you to put a lot of stuff on your baby's skin. So mm -hmm. Your baby skin is kind of perfect, meaning it doesn't have dry patches. I wouldn't use anything. For, okay. Seriously, I would bathe the baby no more than about every seven to 10 days. I would use a tiny bit of soap because soap is drying in general. Um, you know, you can clean the diaper area, of course, more regularly than that, but it is not in your baby's best interest to have a daily bath. It's not in your baby's best interest to use any ointments or creams. People love to do it because they love to massage their babies and they love the smells, but we know that it's not in baby's best interest right. if your skin is intact. If the skin's dry, then getting something like Cetaphil, CeraVe, Aquaphor, or Eucerin, those trilipid creams, we know are likely the most protective and effective in some ways in creating a really good barrier. So the skin can kind of self-heal in a baby that's dry skin. Now, if your baby's skin is so dry that she's or he's rubbing at it and, you know, scratching at it. And it starts to like have little red marks or it even mm. starts to bleed without question. You should be making an appointment with your pediatrician to get some over the counter or some prescription based steroid creams. There is some new research around the world that's showing us that that can be one of the number one protective things for children to kind of close the skin barrier and reduce the likelihood of development of food allergies later. Hmm. Really interesting. So it does sound there's a lot of simple things that parents can do that can really make a difference that can make all of us feel yeah, a number bit one, don't freak out. That's not going to help. Number right. two, if your kid's skin looks great, don't do anything differently. And then if your kid has dry skin, make a plan with your, you, with your family, but then also with your pediatrician. And one last thing on that, the creams that I mentioned, again, I like the ones that come in a tub. So they're a little harder to spread on a baby. They're not, they don't come in a pump. Pump mm -hmm. just adds water to it. We mm -hmm. don't actually want to add water in that situation. So grabbing a big tub, you know, scooping it out with your hands and slathering on your baby is great. It's that Eucerin, Aquaphor, CeraVe, or Cetaphil. They don't have any food ingredients in them. They don't have added sensor perfumes. They don't have any ingredients that we don't want on baby's skin. Natural remedies like olive oil or things with sesame oil or food ingredients like cocoa butter are not recommended because the whole reason that we know that eczema is related to the development of food allergy is that it opens up the skin barrier and kids are introduced to food through their skin. And we don't want that to happen that way. So check with your pediatrician too, on best remedies for affordable skin, you know, emollients mm -hmm. or what we call skin barrier creams. Mm -hmm. So then how is that happening? I can see if you are directly putting food on your baby, like, uh, like olive oil or cocoa butter, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. But, um, I can't imagine that peanut butter necessarily is being slathered on, on babies. And then often, you know, you're not, even starting solid foods until you're older. So how are these kids or how are these babies, these little babies coming in contact with food? Yeah, great question. So in some of the world leading studies, they've even looked for dust of certain ingredients. So hmm. the thing that's really unique about common foods that turn into allergens. So think of it, we all know, and we hear about peanuts, tree nuts, egg, soy, 
fish and shellfish. Those are all fairly fatty ingredients. And what's unique about them is the protein that are in those foods that talk to the immune system are bound to a fat and it makes them really stable in the environment. So if you've ever had peanuts in your kitchen, you probably have peanut dust in your house. You, if your kid goes off to the grocery store, goes off to a play park, goes off to anywhere, they can come back and come in contact with that. So it's not even the direct contact. However, I was just on a panel with world leading allergists all over the world. And they were talking about ensuring that before, after you make food and prepare food in your kitchen, before you pick up your baby, especially if they have eczema, you want to make sure you wash with soap and water, get that food particle off your hands. So you're not transferring that directly to baby's skin, because again, that exposure through the skin barrier directly from your kitchen foods or from just foods that live in the environment, because they're so stable, that fat just makes those foods really stable. So they just sit around a lot. Um, you know, you will never raise a child in the United States and not be exposed to these foods, but patterns around the world, when it comes to food allergy, teach us that what's in the environment actually predicts what kids get um, allergic to. So for example, mm. in Italy, they have a much higher rate of hazelnut allergy than the rest of the world. Nutella is a really common food in that part of the world. Hazelnuts are a big part of the Italian right. diet. And so those kids are likely really exposed to those foods here in the United States. Peanut is the leading cause of pediatric food allergy, but it's certainly not the only one, but about 20% of pediatric food allergies are peanut. We got a lot of peanut butter in our environment, right? So it is just kind of th those norms. Whereas if you go to S Southeast Asia and other, you'll see more fish allergy, for example, even mm -hmm. allergy to things rare in the United States, like rice. So, you know, it is who and how and where we're raising our kids that matters too. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. You know, kids are whatever they're coming in contact with the most often, um, especially when they're babies and maybe more susceptible to this then that's, that's what the problem's going to be. Let's now talk a little bit more about allergies and, and what the science is right now on when to introduce some of those common allergens. So I know that typically you're still starting solid foods around six months. What are you now as a pediatrician suggesting to your, your patients? Well, first and foremost, everything has changed on its head and it's really unusual in medical advice and even in guidelines to have what's happened here. And that is, for example, when I started in pediatric practice in 2006, we were telling people to stay away from peanut till kids were three, stay away from eggs, stay away from dairy. That was exactly the wrong advice to give when we gave that advice. And during that decade, we saw food allergies continue to rise. And so now we know, for example, the immune system, 70% of your baby's immune system is in their GI tract and in their tummy. And the body was designed to learn about food through the stomach. And so what we realize and recognize from global studies that have proven that, for example, a study called the LEAP trial was published in 2015, and it turned everything upside down. It took babies who were high risk for developing allergies. They had eczema or they had eczema and an already developed allergy to egg. And they mm -hmm. fed those babies peanut three times a week from the time that they were as young as four months of age, all the way until they went off to kindergarten. And with that repeated three times a week, at least every day, almost like feeding of peanut, the children who were fed peanut versus the kids who didn't have any peanut, those, those kids were 80% less likely to develop an allergy. And that's where everything changed, where we started to realize, oh, the immune surveillance in early life, it's unique in some ways 
you can design your baby's immune system by where they live, how they eat. So a study called the Pasteur study even evaluated kids that were raised on farms versus kids that were raised in an urban environment. And those kids in a farm were much less likely over the years to develop asthma, eczema, food allergies, asthma, you know, because, or I said asthma twice, but food, food allergy, or even just seasonal allergies. And the reason probably is like, you're growing up on a farm, you're getting exposed to tons of bacteria, tons of parasites, tons of all this stuff, the kind of fungus that comes in from the farm and versus these kids in a really sterile environment. And the same is likely true for food. The more diverse, different food that you get in your baby's tummy, early and repeatedly, the more the immune system is like, oh yeah, I'm used to peanut. Yeah, I'm used to dairy. I'm used to soy. I'm used to fish and shellfish. And so even though the American baby food diet isn't typically accustomed to all those foods, we now recognize and realize that babies will benefit if their tummies are constantly exposed. So the USDA as of 2020 is now saying, if you've got a baby, the minute that you you, 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 mom or dad. And the minute the baby shows basically readiness for solid food somewhere between four to six months, it's not just like period cereal and period fruit and veggies you want. We want you to feed peanut and hazelnut and cashew butter. We want you to feed fish and shellfish, soy, sesame, dairy, eggs. We want all that kind of food right in your baby's diet right from the beginning. And we know that babies with a very diverse diet at six months of age are much less likely even 10 years later to go on and develop allergic conditions. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Totally different though, because when I start, when my baby, you know, my 14 year old sitting right over there and when he was born, right. We were telling people the exact opposite, go slow, take your time. And that was bad advice. And in some ways, you know, what moms and dads can know today is that the instinct of wanting to share all your food in the kitchen is the right one. Hmm. So does that mean you don't then need to do one thing at a time or is that still a suggestion? Yeah, it's a great and fair question. I think if you surveyed hundred pediatricians, you'd probably get about 32 different answers on that. <laughs> I think some people like the feeling of control. And if you're yeah. that kind of parent, and I'm kind of that kind of parent, the idea of saying, oh, I'm a little scared of food. Well, you shouldn't be, but if, if you are, you can acknowledge that. What you, If you're gonna do though, a single food introduction plan, I want mom and dad to make sure that they're really intentional about it. Meaning that, okay, then feed peanut butter and some oatmeal today, fine. The next day, then put a little scrambled egg into your baby's diet. Then the next day, make sure you're introducing pea the next day, put some tomato in the next day, put, you know, some sesame or tahini or hummus in your baby's diet that you don't want to go slow. We know the longer you wait Mm. to introduce these foods, the higher likelihood that your baby has a chance to develop a sensitivity to them or an intolerance or a full-blown food allergy. So if you are one of those moms that wants to do that, sometimes I think what we're learning even at, at Spoonful One where I work is that many families will say, yeah, I just wanted to introduce peanut. And then I introduced egg. And then I introduced like some yogurt. And then I felt fine introducing everything else. Uh And I think that's a really smart way to do it. If you've got concern, that being said, like with spoonful one, which is a combination food product that says, here's all the common allergens. You can feed them all at once. We know it's safe to do that in an otherwise healthy child who's not yet developed an allergy, especially if you're starting early between four to six months of life. If your baby's nine months and you're like, shoot, I'm a little behind or, well, what am I going to do? Don't worry. Just start now, right? Mm -hmm. Start introducing the family soup that you have to your baby in a format that's appropriate for them. Start bringing different foods in. And if you want to have kind of control over something that makes you scared, like egg or something that makes you scared, if it's hazelnut or whatever, then do that singularly and watch your baby. If your baby has a food allergy, they will show symptoms within two hours. The most common symptoms for any baby or toddler are hives developing around the mouth or on the body within two hours or immediate vomiting upon feeding. If that were to happen, 
you might not want to feed that food again, talk to your pediatrician and feed in the presence of a clinician or an allergist, or, you know, get advice from them about the possibility of, of food allergy testing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really helpful for parents to know. So two hours and you're looking for, for hives or a really uh, remarkable rash. And then you're also looking for any sort of vomiting. Yeah. And the vomiting is typically vomiting that's associated right, right, with allergy right. tends to be pretty quick after feeding. Okay. So in, in some families I've taken care of, for example, mom will be like, every time I gave her eggs, like within an hour or two, she puked, but most, and then they'll be like, oh, and then they get allergy tested and they find out their child's got an allergy, maybe to um, what we consider raw egg with scrambled egg, but not to baked egg. So recommendations mm. around the world, for example, when you introduce egg and in early in infancy, we like the idea of baked egg. It doesn't tend to be as allergic, but it's effective at helping a baby's immune system learn and tolerate that egg protein. So the format can sometimes help for families too. But mm. to your point, you're going to see a reaction within two hours if it's what's called an IgE mediated food allergy, where the immune system is reacting in that food allergic way. If you don't see a reaction after two hours, your child tolerates the food well. So you don't have to wait three days to try something new. Gotcha. You can try to, like you frankly can introduce something, you know, in the morning um, and then in the late afternoon, introduce a different food. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Right. Why we don't, I don't want moms and dads to feel scared of food. I want you to kind of enjoy food, you know, and enjoy the introduction of these foods. And I think I think if that one at a time feels right to you, just do it with a few foods. And I think moms and dads get a lot of confidence from that. And then they don't feel so scared moving forward with other introductions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, um, that does, I think it's a very tangible thing that parents are like, okay, I'm going to do this. It worked well. We can move forward and we can yeah. move forward faster. Um, are there any other foods like eggs that, um, how you give them matters in terms of whether they're, um, cooked one way versus another or, you know, raw versus cooked. Yeah. Great question. Not, not really, not okay. that we know of. So it isn't, for example, that you heat up a peanut and it acts differently. In right, the right. Most all foods I'll tell you with heating degrade where, you know, it's the p- protein elements of certain foods There are certain segments of a peanut protein. For example, parents have maybe heard of something called era age one or era age six. There are these little segments of peptides within the protein that talk to the immune system. And, and one point on that, the immune system is protein specific. So everybody's learned so much about the immune system during COVID, right? The immune system is basically a little piece of food comes in and an antibody kind of matches it and says, okay, I tolerate you. If it goes the wrong way, the same thing happens in a whole cascade of, of wrong things go on that way. But one thing that makes protein specificity so important with families is that you can introduce peanut early. And I think most pediatricians are up to date on that data. They know they should be telling families to introduce peanut, but they haven't thought it through that when you introduce peanut, you don't protect against the development of egg allergy, or you don't protect against the development of a fish allergy. So you need the fish protein and you need the shrimp protein and you need it in repeatedly as the immune system is growing up, the more diversity of food that your baby gets and the more routinizing or the more routinely (laughs) they get it, the better in that way. And so that's what, that's, what's really hard. I mean, if you go um, to target or you go to Walmart or you go to the grocery store today and you buy baby food, 95% of parents buy a commercially made baby food, you know, right now it's devoid of all of these ingredients. And so, you know, the reason in some ways I, I decided to become the chief medical officer at Spoonful One was the science was so compelling that I wanted pa- families and pediatricians to recognize and understand that early introduction was beneficial. And I wanted to be a part of changing the food source. And so, mm-hmm. you know, at Spoonful One, for example, we have a product line that has little puffs or biscuits that you 
can feed. And every serving gives exactly the same amount of 30 milligrams, which is kind of like a kernel size of a peanut of 16 different foods, which account for the most common foods that cause food allergies in children here in the United States. So it's all the tree nuts, it's peanut, it's fish, it's shrimp, it's egg, it's wheat, it's soy, it's sesame. It's all those common allergens, but it's in pre-measured amounts. And it's in a daily serving that just says, yeah, you can give your baby, you know, period eggs or period, you know, whatever you make a smoothie, you can give a little scrambled egg, you can do a little toast. And then if spoonful ones incorporated in the diet every day, you get all those proteins in. Mm-hmm. And you should still be putting them in table food. You should still be putting a little thin peanut butter into that. But, but, you know, I think, but it's that over and over again, convenience that we want. And it's that the baby food shelves have to change. So I've been in lots of conversations with grocery store chains and big box retailers. And we're now at select targets. We're likely going to advance to all the targets we just launched in Wegmans, which is the large grocery store change in the Northeast. We're entering another grocery store chain next week in California. So gradually we're saying, when you go to the baby food shelves, I don't want you to just find pureed peaches and, you know, little puffs with a bunch of rice flour. I want you to have puffs with all these different ingredients. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, these puffs, you know, the spoonful one puffs went to Stanford, like all of the research that went into these products came out of Stanford university and the head of the allergy center there. Yeah. Go eat some rice flour puffs. But if you could eat some puffs that have all these different ingredients and your baby enjoys them, why not? Right. Those are some very smart puffs. Yeah. Those are very smart puffs. That's right. Yeah. That's they are. They're very pre-measured. They have 16 different foods in them and and come from a large tome of research that really shows that it's not even just getting peanut in early. I'd rather that you feed peanut in the presence of all the other foods, just like I'd rather your baby play in a yard full of all different kinds of biodiversity than just playing in an urban, sterile, Purell down playset. Right. 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 Know that intuitively that diversity likely just allows the immune system to calm down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think what's really interesting is what you're saying is it's not only introduce it early, but do it regularly and that you have to do it more than once. It's not a one and done thing. You have to continually be feeding your baby, all of these allergens. And I think that's, that's why a a product like spoonful one is actually really useful because it makes it easy for parents. Yeah. And I think that's that, I think we focused a lot in the language, like pediatricians handouts at, at, you know, the four month visit or the six month visit will say, you know, oh, make sure you get peanut in the diet. First off, we're missing the boat there since you know, you know, 30 to 40% of children who have an allergy, have an allergy to more than one food. And again, you don't Mm. protect against the other allergies by eating peanuts. So it's all the foods, but every single study that has proven the value of feeding infants, these different allergens, or even feeding toddlers, these different allergens has actually required months to years of feeding to get the data to show that it worked. So there's not a single study that says I fed my baby, you know, eggs when they were six months of age, done. Right. Not right. a single study, right? So all the studies that even, eval- there's a study called the Pettit study, for example, that evaluated different levels of feeding of baked egg and then advancing to things like scrambled eggs, which are considered raw. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in that study, it, again, months of feeding to show that it was beneficial in that introduction group. So that's what makes, you know, I think, you know, I never want families to feel like they have to buy something extra. I mean, I just, that's not the philosophy of a P, any pediatrician, I don't think. Right, and right. yet what we know is that some studies, a study called the EAT trial, which was also published in the New England Journal of Medicine, like the LEAP trial, that studied just introducing six different common allergens to infants and parents only like 30%, even in a research trial, could get five or six foods into their baby's diet on a weekly basis. Hmm. And so mm-hmm. things like Spoonful One or other products like Little Mixins, for example, they're also available at Target. They're just solutions to make 
make it easy. You know, Little Mixin mm-hmm. was founded by a food allergy mom. Spoonful One was founded by an MD, PhD researcher who runs the Allergy Center at Stanford. She's a mom of five. I mean, when Kari created this, Dr. Nadeau, it's because she's taking care of all these families and she's like, wait, we could get ahead of this, but I have to make a practical, convenient way for families to pull it off. It's a mom hack right? Mm-hmm. To say, mm-hmm. it's not just like, I'm going to tell you to do this. So like when I tell families, like, don't drink juice in the first year of life, don't do X, Y, Z, X, Y. And we all kind of, you know, we break the rules sometimes because it's life, right. <laughs> you know? And so I think um, it's just, you know, these, this, this kind of new category of these baby snacks, these toddler snacks, and these mixins that you can pour into, into a, you know, pancake mix, you can pour it into a smoothie you can put it into a little pureed cereal. It's just to make it easy for parents that at the end of the day, good eating day, bad eating day, doesn't matter. You've got all those different foods in, in that day and you can feel good about it. Right. Right. Um, what would you recommend to parents who know that they have a history of allergies within the family? Would you say, you know what, this is actually more important than ever that you do something like this introduce early, or do those parents need to be a little bit more cautious and sort of follow the old system? Yeah, no one, sh- no one should follow the old system. The old okay. system has been proven wrong. We know, you know, even back in 2008, the Academy of Pediatrics said, actually don't delay the introduction of foods. And nobody really listened because we've gotten so used to that avoidance. Then in 2019, the, the clinical statement from the Academy of Pediatrics is we know that delaying the introduction of these foods in any child is the wrong way. So if, but a caveat on your question is if you have a family history of food allergy, so if you have a first child and they ended up developing a food allergy, mm-hmm. doing this well or not, I mean, we're not going to get rid of all food allergies doing this because allergies are multifactorial. There is a genetic component. That being said, two out of three children in the United States with a food allergy don't have a relative with a food allergy. So they are like lightning strikes in some families. That being said, a child who has a sibling is at 1.6 fold increased risk of developing a food allergy. So, so mm-hmm. it is more important mm-hmm. for a second baby in a family with food allergies to get these foods in early and routinely spoonful one products are all in heavy foil packaging and single servings so that they can live and be on a shelf in a family that's avoiding purchasing those foods regularly. And then a parent can open it and feed it to a child and a non-allergic adult can do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But without question, if number one, more, even than a family history, if your child has eczema, talk with your pediatrician about a judicious plan, because more than anything, getting foods into that tummy early and often can override, right? The exposure that a child could get through their skin bearer. And we know that because of the leap trial and this fancy name called the dual allergen exposure hypothesis, the concept that if kids are only getting exposed to food through open skin and you're not feeding it to them, they're much more likely to go on and develop an allergy versus Hmm. even if they have eczema, if you're feeding those foods into their tummy at that time, that process will overrun what's happening at the skin level. And that's, what's so amazing about all this new research in the last decade that we know we won't probably get rid of all food allergies, but as families feel more comfortable eating all these different foods and sharing with their babies, not waiting, getting all these foods in routinely in early life, that they will be the part of the next generation of kids having less allergies than the one before. Hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful in terms of thinking about the outsides of our body versus the inside of our body. And that we really want to be introducing these allergens inside of our body.
body. Yes, that's so nice how yeah. our bodies are able to learn about them and then work with them opposed to outside. Cause I was thinking about what you were saying with the, um, rural versus urban uh-huh. study with the kids who are living on these farms, they're outside, yeah. they're getting dirty. So I'm thinking, okay, they're outside. They're also exposed to all of these allergens outside. Um, yeah. but because they are eating all of those things, they are eating it's them. okay. Yeah, and it's right. the eating part that's so important. So it's also like, oh, we shouldn't protect our children with eczema. Like, oh, don't go outside. No, you need to go right. outside. You need to get dirty. You know, yes, we're, right. we're sort of battling this rash and we're trying to get it under control, but you still need to go outside because who knows, you might eat dirt and that's a good thing. And as long as you're like eating the foods and then right. that's going to help prevent some of this Yes. And I'll tell you not to get too deep in the immunology, but what's fascinating, right, is just that the kind of immune surveillance you have at the skin level Mm -hmm. versus the kind of immune surveillance you have in the tummy is different. And the kind of introduction that we want our babies to have is in the tummy. It's like even Mm -hmm. studies Mm -hmm. that show, for example, in early life, if you raise a baby in a house with a dog, that child is also much less likely to go on to develop allergies versus a child who doesn't grow up in a house with a dog. The reason is the dog's mouthful of all that bacteria is licking the baby. The dog is bringing crap in from the yard and on their feet and it's all over them. And like, you know, I mean, I used to joke that I would literally, I had a Labrador when my babies were young and, and I would open up their diapers and I would literally find like her fur, like in their diaper. I'm like, this is, it goes through their bodies. (laughs) They are eating her fur like all day. And in the end, that's probably really good. And so, but food is no different and food might be in, in the environment where we know there's something about living in the modern world. Our great grandmothers weren't thinking about this and we didn't have food allergies at the rate we do today. Right. High efficiency detergents are breaking down our skin barrier. Overuse of antibiotics, for example, are changing our microbiomes. We know there's something about the modern world, even, even just like you go to a dinner and it's like the kid menu only has three things on it. Our modern diets are right. even less diverse. And all of that together has likely predisposed our generations to having more allergies than ever before. And that's why parents today have to hear this call to action of do not go slow, be very intentional and bring your baby the world's food right from the beginning so that your baby can eat around the world for the rest of their life. Definitely. My last question is just about Spoonful One. And um, when would you recommend that parents start with Spoonful One or a product similar to it? if are you, should you be starting as young as four months and then when should you, or how long should you continue? Are we talking about until they're two, three, four, five, you know, how, how old should these kids be? And I know that spoonful one is, is, is a fun product because it comes in, in so many forms. So you do have options as your kids age up. So what would you recommend for, for aging kids? Yeah. So let's start at introduction. If you're, if you have a nine month old, it's a great time to start. If you have an 18 month old and you haven't started with these foods, it's a really important time to start. The longer you wait, the bigger the risk. So that being said, if your baby is two months old right now, or you're just pregnant, or you're thinking about it, an ideal time to start feeding something like spoonful one is right when you start solid foods. So Mm. when baby shows readiness for solids and complementary foods, and when mom is ready to discontinue exclusive breastfeeding, et cetera, and the both of you are ready to go, that's when. So if you start a pureed cereal one day, 
you can start feeding common allergens the next day. There is absolutely no reason to wait. It is not risky. In fact, in early life at four to six months in an otherwise healthy baby, it just isn't of risk. So you want to start as early as you know about it, but I don't want families to panic if they've like not done it. You want to catch up. There's one study called the child study that found in healthy babies, not even babies with eczema or risk factors, that if parents waited till 12 months of age to introduce peanut, a baby was four times as likely to go on to develop peanut allergy. If they waited until 18 months, the baby was seven times more likely gotcha. to go on. So it just shows you that the march of time is real. So the earlier, the better, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think there's anything that you need to, I mean, I think 20, 30 years from now, we're going to feed these things to babies right, right after, you know, right after birth. Now moms and dads, or excuse me, moms who are breastfeeding and mom who gets a really diverse diet in her breast milk, she is definitely passing on a diversity of different proteins, but the levels of those proteins um, studied by a, a PhD dietitian named Dr. Karina Venter, for example, proves they're likely, unfortunately, not at a level to create protection and trigger the immune system's tolerance. So Mm. breastfeeding is great. In fact, breastfeeding in the first three months of life decreases the risk of eczema, which is the big risk factor in the first place. So of course we want you to breastfeed. However, we know that more important is how you feed and add complementary foods when it comes to the prevention and protection against food allergies. So rah, rah to breastfeeding, of course, vitamin D supplementation, of course, we know that's a mediator in the immune system and all pediatricians pretty much recommend that to formula and breastfed babies. And then you get those complementary foods in. Now, how long? to be as honest as possible. Nobody knows, you know, most of these studies, it kind of, it's probably a combination of how much are you feeding? How frequently are you feeding these proteins and for how long, because the data that we use to, to create spoonful one that was conducted at Stanford, it studied 450 babies and children. They studied babies and then drew blood after a year of feeding. We saw a pretty significant change in the immune profile of those an- antibodies in those babies. And so what we do say is in an ideal world, and you start spoonful one, you, you continue that at least for about a year or until your baby is really eating a super diverse diet. It's just that infancy mm-hmm. and toddlerhood mm-hmm. are not mm-hmm. the time of life where kids are consistent. So it's like, I kind of think if you, you know, if you have a goal, if you can get something like spoonful one or this protein diversity in your own diet, just because you're like, gosh, my baby gets nuts at least three or four times a week. My baby's getting fish. My baby's getting soy. My baby's getting sesame. Go to it. Use real food. The the practical reality is that most people, I I could never have pulled something like that off. And I bought almost all of our baby food for our babies because I was a full-time pediatrician at the time. And, um, you know, then I'd say I, 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 I target, you know, six to 12 months where you're just saying routinely, this immune system is going to just get trained over and over and over and over and over again, so that you can kind of stave off that concern. Now, if your baby has eczema through those years, I'd probably continue it longer. Okay. That's, that's helpful. All right. One last question. Where can you get this if you can't find it in your Target or your Wegmans or where or whatever your grocery store? Yeah, you is? go. Yeah, so go online to spoonfulone.com. You of course can just buy it right there. You can buy it at Amazon if you're an Amazon Prime or Amazon subscriber that way. And then at these um, select Target stores, and then gradually we're going to be in a, a couple of different drug stores as well. So we'll be in grocery, drugstore, big box like Target, and likely some of the other big box retailers going forward. So I think my, the goal is we are trying to change the foods. The food source is going to change. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. I think baby 
seafood aisles are increasingly going to have nut products, egg products, you know, all these different combination and convenient products. Um, but of course, online right now is probably the easiest in addition to those select targets. If you go to the spoonfulone.com, you can read all about this research I've just reviewed. We are um, conducting a further study. So we had the original study at Stanford, then a study was conducted out of Northwestern. And now we're recruiting for a study with Duke for 1500 babies. We've recruited about a third of those babies already, but you could still, if your babies between the age of four to six months be involved in our study, it's called the intent study. So you can go to the intentstudy.com and read about that. Um, and you can read about all this research. And, and I have multiple videos on the website on how to do this. In addition, if you, if you go to spoonfulone.com, you can pull down something called the allergy quiz. It's an inventory that kind of asks you your guiding philosophies as a mom or dad, how you want to introduce risk factors like does your baby have eczema? Are there a family history of these? And then you can print out PDFs of meal plans to say, I want to just dump in spoonful one from the beginning. I want to try a couple of different foods, or I want to introduce each single allergen food group individually, and then go on and we give you recipes to do that and a whole calendar on how to do that. So check that out. If we can provide you kind of that prescription, some families feel a lot better when they have a really diligent plan. Yeah, that's a great tool. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mm. Wendy Sue Swanson from Spoonful One. And thank you also to all of our viewers and listeners today. Make sure that you visit chesapeakefamily.com for up-to-date local information on home, health, and living for today's Maryland parent. We'll also put up those links that Dr. Swanson mentioned so you can go directly to Spoonful One, to the allergy quiz, and to the intense study. This episode will be archived on chesapeakefamily.com in both podcast format and in video. I'm Janet Jefferson with Chesapeake Family Life and Third Floor Views. Thanks so much. Bye.